0: Listener Production. G'day, you are listening to Part B of Episode 91 of the Howie Games, featuring Geelong Premiership coach Chris Scott. On we go. Let's move to coaching, where I think you're more comfortable to talk about, especially in more... General esoteric sense, mate. How are you going talking about yourself here?
1: You're sort of squirming around your chair a bit. How are you going? I'm squirming here. (laughs) Let's move past it, Howard. We'll move
0: past it. I told you it wasn't very interesting. (laughs) No, you have been very interesting. Um, And I say that 100%, you've been very interesting. Um, You don't have to answer these as much and as long as you may need um, because I think your passion would mean we'd be here for four days, um, which I'd be happy with. What is your okay let's start right from the start what, what do you reckon the key to being a successful coach of a large organization
1: is? Well that's complicated yeah uh, I, I think I think you need to be malleable I think you need to um, fit the organization not have the organization fit you hmm. and again it was really good advice that I got. When I, I mean, in my view, I was prematurely appointed um, a head coach. i I finished playing, um, you know, as a grumpy old player, really grumpy old and injured, um, looking to go and do something else with my life. And you know, as luck would have it, really, I just made a commitment that I wouldn't say no to uh, to any opportunities that were put in front of me, at least not straight away. So heard heard a few people out and. In the end, I took an assistant coaching job at Fremantle, was there for three years and was appointed the head coach at Geelong. And so way before I thought I was ready. um, So I think a little bit of humility really helped me at that stage as well. So um, it wasn't hard for me to come in and say, well, the first thing I need to do is to identify all the things um, that need to be kept um, and that were really positive about the place. And really that ended up being 99% of it. It was just such a well-run organisation. So the combination of the team being so successful um, and well-run and the fact that I was really unprepared for the enormity of the task um, meant that, you know, I spent more time working out how does Geelong run and how do I complement it Mm -hmm. as opposed to I suspect the way... (laughs) Um, an older coach um, with, um, with, who was a bit more set in his ways might have, might have gone about it. So um, I, I say that was the situation at the time, but I'm, you know, I, I, would, I don't want to coach anywhere else. Um, but it's a challenging one because I'm 43 uh, and if I want to coach for a long time, I'm not sure that I do, by the way, uh, but if I want to coach for a, a long time from here, I suspect it needs to be at another club. Um, And that'll be a difficult situation for me. I think the likelihood is I'll just finish at Geelong and just finish all together. But in the hypothetical where I did go to another club, I'm determined that I would be, or at least approach it in a similar way to the the way I approached the Geelong position, which was have a look at everything that's done well in the place, don't be disrespectful to the people that did the job previously, highlight all the good, and then start tweaking the things that you need to change um, and, and, again, I think, you know, the best coaches are the ones that identify that there are a number of ways that you could set up your program and you could go about things the way you could play that would all work. The challenge is, and I think the skill, is working out which ones work for this particular organisation and, and playing group. And I think game Styles is a great um, example there. I, I'm just not of the view that there's one way to play the game. There are lots of different ways um, and but the way you choose should fit your personnel and that should evolve over time as opposed to saying, I know exactly how the game is supposed to be played and damn you guys, you're going to play it that way.
0: What's your greatest weakness as a coach?
1: Oh, this is this is going to sound like that answer that um, you give in a job interview mm-hmm. when they say, what's your greatest weakness and you say, oh... I'm a workaholic. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, too caring. <laughs> yeah, I, I care too much. Well, that, that's sort of, I guess that is sort of my answer. Okay. Um, in a way, I I let it get to me too much.
0: In what way? How does that manifest?
1: So, again, I listened to Nathan Buckley, who I'm a great admirer of um, on the Howie Games, and he talked about his ability to move past, um, you know, poor performance or, or losses. I think he was on the Tuesday after a... After a loss on the
0: weekend,
1: yeah, it was, yeah. Wow, yeah, I'm, I've got a lot of admiration for him there because that's not me. I, I take the losses really hard, um, and it's 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 a skill I just haven't um, been able to to develop over time. I mean, you find a way as the weeks go on. Describe that to uh, me.
0: Describe but- you taking as a loss hard. Like again. Um- Without pushing you on it, mate, how does it manifest? Like, does it affect your mood? Do you not sleep at night? Do you go home and pester your wife to talk about footy, or you go and kick the cat if you had one? Like, how, how does it how does it play out?
1: Yeah, so I'm really lucky with my wife because she she knows me well enough to know that one we shouldn't talk about footy at the best of times, uh, and she doesn't want to anyway. Um, and two, she knows that I do take the losses. Um, and I, I say the losses, but it's, 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 it's the misfortune that you have, not only losses, you know, sometimes it's, you know, how you've dealt with a player or um, a meeting that I had grand designs on being really effective that just falls flat. Mm. Um, so those sort of moments, um, th- the way it manifests for me, say, use the example of losing a game, I rarely sleep um, and, and when I do, um, you know, it's almost to the minute, bolt upright at 3am, you know, thinking about all the things that, that I should have done. I take it really personally. Um, and I'm smart enough to work out that there's so much that's beyond my control, but I haven't been able to convince my subconscious mind that, that that's the case. So um, what, what I have been better at is just working through the fact that and I'm, I'm, I believe this as a as a coach as well. This is something we try to get through to our players, Sometimes you can't change the way you feel, and, and that's not true either, you can. You know, there's definitely some mental skills that can help change the way you feel. But to an extent, the way you feel doesn't matter. Uh, you've, you've just got to um, make sure that you keep delivering. So the 24 hours after a loss, I feel horrific. And maybe this is what Bucks was referring to. It, it's not as if he feels good about it, but he's just so strong in his conviction that there's work to be done and you've got to jump back on the horse.
0: If you could indulge me, just say in my wildest dreams I'd played 64 games for Geelong, for example, when I got to the end of my fourth season and I'd had a few injuries I wasn't getting into the game plan and you decide as a club that I can no longer play for your footy club. So you call me into your office. Howie, I need to speak to you. How do you have that conversation when you are putting on hold or ending a young man's dream?
1: They're the worst conversations. Uh, and I, I don't think there's a great understanding for how the um, the process works within the modern footy club. I, I think it's it's perceived more as um, the way it worked 20 years ago when the, the coach was the one having that conversation, not only having the conversation but making the decision. Mm-hmm. Those decisions now are much more more shared across a group of people, even to the point where um, the final decision on who stays and goes um, is not mine. Now, hopefully we've got a, um, a an environment that's collegiate enough that we never get to the point of um, you know, me saying, oh, I want him, and the list manager saying, I don't. Um, and it being really binary like that, I think we chip away at each other and CEO and the footy manager involved is involved in that as well, um, and generally we come up with a, a unified position. But um, I'm I'm realistic to know that um, I'll be the face of those decisions, um, and I think that's one of the leadership challenges. You've got to take responsibility for things that aren't necessarily. Um, your positions. I think we're saying that with Paddy Dangerfield for the moment, uh, for, for what it's worth mm. um, in the current situation. You know, sometimes as the head of the organisation, he's the president of the Players Association, you've got to say, this is our position. And I think probably in the back of his mind he's thinking, well, actually this is not my position but I've got to live the lie a little bit. Yep. Um, so I think spreading the load across that um, that decision-making process makes it a little bit easier um, but the, it's an example of um, something that I take really hard. I mean, I, dealing with some of our, and, and this sounds a little harsh for the 64-gamer, um, but they're easier than the 300-gamer who is so sure that he could play for another five years. Um, and some of, those, some of those conversations, and it's not just a conversation, some of those, the, those series of conversations over a period of months have gone pretty close to breaking me at times. Sometimes I've just felt I'm, I'm not sure that it, it's worth it to, to carry this burden. But again, you know, you pretty quickly realise that it, it can't all be sunshine and rainbows. You got, If you're going to have the good parts of the job, you got to accept the bad. But it's funny, even coming back to the, you know, the you, you, we get rewarded quite well in what we do. But you know, I say to my wife all the time, I, I don't get paid for the footy stuff you know, sitting around with my mates talking about footy and coming up with a way to beat the opposition (laughs) and, um, you know, getting to sit in the coach's box at the MCG, I I get paid for the rubbish times. Um, And, yeah, I mean, if if you could strip out all of those really difficult scenarios, then you probably should pay us about 80% less.
0: Well, you're not getting paid at all at the moment, so let's not not (laughs) talk about that one. Um, You won a grand final as a coach in your first year. You know, you won your first thirteen games, I reckon. Was it the first thirteen games as a coach you won?
1: Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um
0: So there's so many like you you've referred to Nathan. Um he has been that close to winning premierships as a player and a coach and and that's for him to, to deal with. Um and hopefully he he coaches a premiership and 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 can the right expression is not tick the box but Achieve that feeling that he's been searching for for so long. You won a couple as a player. Your first year as a coach, you won the premiership. So do you actually realise what you've done at that point? Because it's your first crack at it. And the second question on is the obvious result: is that then it's going to all downhill? How do you motivate yourself to start the next year and the next year and the next year when you've already won it in your first crack at it?
1: as one of the greatest teams of the modern era. It's been a massive team effort all year to get here and, and um, yeah, we're just wrapped.
0: You're a star mate, Nanny Mars with your coach. Thanks very much Howie.
1: Can you believe this? can't. Oh, it's amazing. It's, as you can hear, I've yep. got no voice left. It's probably the best day of my life. You've done it as a player. You're a Brisbane Lion man your whole life. It's taken you 12 months and a day here at the MCG today to become a Geelong legend. This is unbelievable. No, no, I'm not a Geelong legend. These players are the legends. I'm just so blessed to be a part of such a remarkable group of players. I've never found the motivation piece difficult, Mm -hmm. even as a player. I've never understood the, the premiership hangover. You achieve something that's so good. Uh, for me, the motivating factor was how do we get back here again. Uh, it was a little bit different as a as a coach, because we, I mean, on reflection, we we did, you know, turn things upside down across the course of of twelve months in that season, um, and you know, I I really cherished that moment because um, the trepidation that I felt when I first started at Geelong. Um, contrasted with the exhilaration of sort of a plan coming together at the end of 2011 was just, it was just amazing. Hmm.
0: How's it work in the coach's box? What happens in there? Um, You see the shots um, of frustration, elation. What actually happens in the coach's box?
1: I suspect everyone's different. I've, I've sat in the box a little bit when I was playing with Lee Matthews, but not much um three is an assistant with Mark Harvey um, and and that that taught me um, quite a bit um, with our coaches box we, we tend to have a very um, collaborative um, open sort of dialogue in the way we go about things the line coaches so the forwards backs midfield coach have a lot of autonomy in what they do so they've got a direct line down to the bench and and to the runner and um, and the way I said is, my job is to try to coordinate all that without micromanaging them. So technically, um, you know, I, I would dictate the, the messages that that go out onto the ground, or the moves we make. Um, but generally, those sort of decisions are made in isolation with the um, assistant coaches, and and it doesn't even get referred to because everyone sort of agrees. Sort of, at least tacitly, um, but the real challenge is when there is disagreement. Trying to manage that, and hopefully that that is a, a conversation. Um, it's a really tense environment, though, so I try to mitigate um, the tension by letting off steam every now and again, and, and I do. I do. It's a one time, probably in in the whole environment, where I um, I don't place any restrictions on myself, so. With players, I reckon I've lost my temper with them two or three times in, in nine years, and that's something I learned from Lee as well. Uh, I think it's always more powerful to be measured and and to be in control. But for me, it's naive to think you're gonna be in control all the time on match day. So my sanctuary is the box, um, and it's often irrational. And a free kick here to Bruce. Josh Hunt doesn't like it. Two and a minute on, on the cards. That's a dip.
0: Well, that's a spoil. That's absolutely. Chris Scott is about to throw that through
1: the window. Um, In fact, most of the time um, it's irrational, but it's not supposed to be rational. Hmm. It's just supposed to be a a relief valve, a way to let off some steam. um, and, And the rule is simple. It can't go on too long and it can't affect others in the box. And, you know, I think most of the time we live up to that ideal. I only got a couple more questions for you
0: about footy. Um, you mentioned those prelims so what do you say to a group of men again um, it be easy for me to ask you what, what you go and say after you've succeeded what do you go and say to a group of blokes after you've failed especially in the big time you've had so much success to play in all those preliminary finals they haven't gone your way of recent times you walk into the room the season is over it's done everything you've put into it as a group is now back to square one for the next year. Well, probably not square one, but like, like, what do you say?
1: They've won. Hawthorne have won in a stunning game of football at the MCG. Hawthorne to the grand final. What a match. So gallant tonight, Geelong. But Hawthorne will play the winner of Fremantle and Sydney. Well, as a rule, I tend not to talk to the players after a game. And that's quite rare, Mm. um, from my understanding anyway. Certainly every game I ever played as a player, the coaches would address um, the players. And and I rarely came away from one of those as a player thinking that was effective. (laughs) Um, Certainly early early in my career. um, You would have had a few early in the career. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we did every single week. And it was, I mean, the way I interpreted that, whether I'm right or wrong, was... The coach has got extreme frustration at the moment, and he needs someone to blame. Um, what he doesn't have is all the information to make a, a clear-headed analysis of the situation, but he's going to make it anyway, and probably be wrong. And then maybe try to pick up the pieces in the next few days, or, or more likely, just not bother about it. Now the challenge is after the last game of the season, especially you know one with high stakes like a prelim finals, you can't just leave it. And so we'll see you in a couple of of months' time. Um, You need to address it a little bit. And I think, you know, the the rational way of approaching it is, look, there's more to life than this. Um, But in the moment, it doesn't feel that way. And I'm not sure it should because, again, back to that idea that I think the really high performers do kid themselves to an extent. Um, You're not looking for balance and you're not looking for um, you know, a, a really rational position on things. You're, you're looking for um, players and, and people that can convince themselves that the impossible's is possible. Hmm. Um, so to, I, I find it really hard in that immediate aftermath to say, come on, guys, get a bit of perspective. You know, the sun's going to come up tomorrow where um, we're all going to be okay. Uh, I'd prefer to to do it a little bit more in terms of, it's okay to feel the disappointment. Don't don't try to don't try to hide it. Um, but then the, the guiding light for me is you know, whether we succeed or fail, we all do it together. So whatever you do, don't blame anyone. You know, back to that um, that idea of leadership in a crisis. The leader has to stand up and take responsibility, even if you don't think it's your fault. You know, at least give the players some sort of comfort that it was more than them that was responsible for a bad outcome.
0: This is not going to be easy for you. First thing that pops in your head, finish the sentence. I'm going to ask you about a few players you coach currently. Just finish the sentence for me. Um, and if it doesn't come out right, we'll cut it out at the end so you'll be fine. <laughs> Good, safety. Uh, Paddy Dangerfield is? Quirky. Gary Ablett Jr. is? Complicated. Tommy Hawkins is?
1: The personification of what I spoke about earlier that there are two personas for pro athletes. There's your on-field self and your off-field self and for Tommy they are two different people.
0: Matthew Scarlett is?
1: Ruthless but lovable.
0: Harry Taylor is?
1: (sighs) Lovable but complicated. (laughs) Uh, And Harry, I mean, he's like, I've already used um quirky for Patty. Like if Patty's quirky, then 10 exit for Harry. He's <laughs> he's out there. Zach he is. Very, very funny man with a um, a long career in the media, I think. The more we hear from um, Zach, the better society will be. Lockie Henderson he is. A podcast host. <laughs> yes, <he laughs> is. And a friend of yours, Howie. Yes. I've listened to that one as yes. well. Very, very good podcast um episode, that one on the, the elephant, elephant road. Thank you. Um Yeah, um, Lockie's Lockie's a complex individual as well Um, but, um, yeah, I love the way he goes about it. I hope he can find some simplicity in his life. Lee Matthews is. A legend. Um, Lee's, I think he's softened a little bit in his old age as well, Much, I must admit I never really saw the brutally hard side of him that I think he or I know he had as a player and he certainly had as a coach in his early days at Collingwood. But um, he, he is one of the most pragmatic people you will ever meet. His, his ability to cut through the mess. I mean, he's talk about leadership in a crisis. He's the type of person I'd like to be following because he would take a really difficult and complicated situation and distill it down in, in ways that a six-year-old could understand The way you've answered those
0: questions, it hits me even more that um, I asked you right near the start when we were talking about the corona situation, how are the players dealing with it, and you're like, well, you can't sort of group them in as a whole. Like you've just mentioned six blokes on your list, caring, complicated, quirky, funny. Um, How do you get such a group of personalities heading in the same direction? How do you group, how do you coach as a group, such wildly different individuals if that question even makes sense
1: it does we embrace it and I mean I certainly do I think our club's done that for a long time but uh, that we want them to be who they are like we've uh, for a while I tried to sort of massage this around the edges this idea um, but at, at a certain point in time I just decided, now let's be really clear on the environment we're trying to set up. We want you to be yourself um, and we will we will try to tweak the bits of yourself that don't really conform to the team ideal mm. but we don't want a group of vanilla people and we certainly don't want a group of vanilla players. We want to see your instincts come through and we want to see your flair and we'll deal with the, with the challenges kind of after the fact because in effect what you're trying to do you know, and I don't think the professional sporting environment would be different to the business context. You're trying to set up a framework um, for some sort of conformity, so you know you can have some cohesion in what you do. But as long as you operate within that, be yourself and and, and be authentic, because um, that's where you have the most success. It's just you know a crazy idea that we'd say we need everyone to be like Harry Taylor. I mean, we would be weird off the charts. <laughs> Um, if, if we tried that. Um, but it works for Harry. Yes. So embrace it. Came into the Triple M commentary box
0: when he was injured in the last two years and will be forever remembered as the man that brought us the most delightful rumballs that his wife had made and brought them into the... You'd never seen uh, five blokes get such a lift when a footballer came in and delivered rumballs. Just, it got me right in the heart as well as the guts.
1: It doesn't surprise. <laughs>
0: Back to Chris in a moment. The last episode of the Howie Games, featured, if you don't mind, seven-time Grand Prix winner Dan Ricardo. Thanks for all helping to blow up the download system, which you did. It seems Danny Rick is a very, very, very popular guest who has a wide-ranging taste in music. Your man out of Fremantle, the Tame Impala. That, that's all I've got for you? Yeah, Do you listen right. to his gear, or what,
1: what, are, you, what are you listening to? <laughs> that's all right, um... <laughs> Mate, I, I'm extremely diverse these days And maybe it comes with, with a little bit of age But, um, I mean, for example, last night we had a little bit of Johnny Cash playing okay. You know, this morning we were listening to more some, like, current hip-hop um, So I, I could name some artists but
0: Go on, hit I, me, I, I, let me see how I you, go
1: <laughs> Young Thug Do you know Young Thug?
0: <laughs> no, not, not yet, but I'll look him up Who else you got for me? The um, Thug. YG <laughs> No. <laughs> no, I'll stop, no, I'll stop no. Give me one more uh, Let's go with oh, uh, I'm trying to think of someone you might know You might know <laughs> Unless it's Marky Mark I, I'm not sure I'm getting it mate. That's Daniel Ricardo on episode 90 of the Howie Games Alrighty, back to Chris Scott Final question about footy And then I want to ask you a couple of questions about you Which will squirm at But we'll have a crack at it anyway Um I, there's no, I don't think there's a sport on the planet and I don't say that lightly you don't go to an NFL game or a Premier League soccer game um, where there is as many broadcasters for one game of sport as we do in the AFL you, you know you go there you come up to the media boxes there's five broadcasters on radio there's two on television the scrutiny is tremendous how do you deal with the negative scrutiny in the media coach for you personally and I mean you, well, and relating to your club which is you as well And does it just wear you down because um, this is a comment from me now rather than from you, our sport media seems to be going further and further down the Fleet Street path of sensationalising and criticising and in some ways maybe our country is as well but that's probably a discussion for another day. But (laughs) how do you deal with what can be a really negative industry, really negative
1: it, it's a real challenge. I, I think the simplistic and unrealistic answer is, you know, you try to remove yourself from yeah, it easier, as much as possible. Easier said
0: than done though, eh? uh,
1: Yeah, it's impossible. I do three press conferences a week plus other media commitments. I'm probably in front of the cameras or a journalist, you know, five, six times a week at a minimum. And, and generally I'm briefed um, for those, so... Um, Yeah, a media guy would say, we need to be aware that this has been said or, you know, this is um, a topic of discussion. So I could try to shield myself from it um, as much as possible and in reality it's not going to work. So, I mean, I go through different phases. I mean, I I guess I've come to the view now that, um, well, put into context, um, Mm. there's someone that told me, you know, LeBron James gets criticised. Um, so if you look at it through that lens, you think, well, you know, if, if the real guns are getting criticised and the ones who have had, you know, great success get criticised, if they drop their level a little bit, then who are you to be irritated that there's some criticism that doesn't seem to make much sense? But I guess that's that's probably um, the most extreme emotion I feel with it these days and that's, that's just confusion. So... How, how can you come to that view hmm. and prioritise, um, um, you know, the more sensational criticism just to placate, you know, the people that I don't think um, are really representative of the real world? Like the, the, the people that sit on social media, and I just have no presence in that world, um, aren't reflective um, of any of the good people I know um, and, and certainly the people that I really rate and, um, you know, um, that give good feedback and good insight into the game, you know, I've never posted something on social media in their life. Um, but yet the media tends to sort of want to, or um, well, some of the media tends to want to sort of direct their um, their stories to those people because it gets the most... Um, clicks. Clicks. Uh, yeah, click. So yeah, that, that's a simple way to describe it. Yeah, that's just sort of what you're after. So um, even even some of the confusion I feel it becomes a little clearer once you actually work through the whole process of it. So what what, what is it exactly that um, they're trying to do here? And, and having spent a bit of time in the media now and getting to know, um, you know, the way it works and even some of the biases that some people have. I mean, you know, even it's actually, it's quite good fun actually now reading, I try to, if I read a story in the paper or online, I, I, I try to read it without seeing who wrote it, and, and try to work out um, <laughs> who it is. And, and, and generally, it's pretty easy yeah, because I you think. know their bias. Um, you know, you know, you know who has um, an axe to grind. Um, you know, and and I mean, once you're in it, you, you see those things really clearly. I think it's hard for most people that don't understand um, the way it works. I mean, the other part for me is I, I, I try to put myself in a situation where um, I I would have to write a story about footy or, or comment in the media without any of the visibility uh, over the things that I have. So you're sort of going blind a little bit yeah. and then you overlay the fact that you have to make it pretty interesting and, and the vanilla tends not to be interesting. Well, I don't blame them for making mistakes or going a little bit over the top. I, I, I think it's a it's a real challenge. So once you sort of put all those things in place. It makes you feel a little bit better about some of the parts that on face value um, are a bit confusing.
0: All right. Uh, I've been told that you love a red wine, that you like the fine foods, you like to travel and you like golf. So let's finish in a more light-hearted sense. Uh, I asked you to comment on the players. This might be the hardest question for the whole world from what I've been told. You can choose one glass or one bottle of red to celebrate Geelong's fifth straight premiership with you in charge, <laughs> what is the glass of red you're
1: going to drink? That is the hardest question.
0: <laughs> I thought and it it's might a, be.
1: It's a, big, it's a big list. But now I, I am going to say that it would be uh, a Mount Mary Cabernet. Um, now that um, James Podziadley um Married into the Middleton family that that own and operate um, Mount Mary, but I can say hand on heart that it's got nothing to do with uh, with Podsy or or Claire or Sam for that matter. It's um, one of the one of the great bottles um, in the world. I'd, I'd I'd have that right up at the top of the list.
0: And uh, apparently your brother's a pretty handy cook. You don't mind your way around the kitchen if um, someone's coming around for dinner. Um, Who's coming around for dinner? Nat Fife is coming around for dinner and he's thinking about coming to the Cats, right, just indulge me and you're right. I want to impress him um, with everything I've got. So you're going to pull out that wine. What are you cooking him? You have to be cooking it. What are you going to prepare for Yeah,
1: him? no, it's not complicated, Howie. It's just the thickest, juiciest ribeye nice. I can find uh, and, and cooked to perfection, which... I have some ideas around, but I don't want to sound like a wanker. No,
0: sound like a wanker. Go on, give me a couple of <laughs> ideas.
1: Well, if you get a really thick ribeye, <laughs> yeah. it, it is hard to, to cook it perfectly all the way through. But if you sous vide it. Which? Which is vacuum, sous vide. So it's vacuum sealed, cooked in a water bath at a low temperature for a long time and then charred at the end. Um, it's it's one, of the, one of the great things in life. I do it three or four times a week.
0: I think you sound like a wanker. <laughs> I told you. I warned you. <laughs> no, I like it. i to need to investigate it. Um, uh, you've obviously, um, well, those that don't aware, where, um, and, and your manager and close friend Craig Kelly told me this, that you have a massive passion for golf and, and like playing some courses. Where's your dream around the golf?
1: Well, I've already done it, which is... Um, Even better. Yeah, it, it, it nearly didn't happen. I, um, it was 2014 and a friend was going on a trip to the US um, and he was talking about all these golf courses that he was going to play and, um, you know, Shinnecock Hills and uh, Marion and NGLA, all these places that um, I was thinking, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He can't get on those courses. But uh, I was introduced to the guy that was um, taking them. He's become a really good friend uh, of mine and, um they said well it, there is a spot um, if you want to jump on I only knew um one guy on, on the trip there were about 10 guys all, all a lot older than me but we had a great time and one of those courses was Pine Valley uh-huh. uh, in the states which was um it, it was just the best golfing experience of my life and I haven't played Cypress Point um that I suspect that would be the only course that that could rival uh, Pine Valley where's Pine Valley uh, Philadelphia. Right. So we we travelled around New York a little bit. It was just an amazing um, trip. But yeah, th- three or four hours south of New York, I guess. How'd you hit him? No, I was I was more nervous than my AFL debut um, that day. Uh, so I got away in the first hole, okay. But I got a bit shanky <laughs> in the next couple of holes. <laughs> a The, bit the occasion got to me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um you've been uh, amazing with your time you're about to get the question from a young bloke but um you said at the start you listened to quite a few podcasts and you've listened to some of this the world is in lockdown at the moment athletes are more accessible than they've ever been because they've got nothing to do if you wanted to hear one person on the howie games from a sporting background you're setting me a challenge who would that person be
1: Oh, gee, Howie, I wish you had have given me some notice on this one because I'm sure I could come up with someone. um, I can
0: cut your paws out. Really interesting. I can cut your paws out. Don't worry, think about it.
1: Okay, all right, well, give me a bit of time because I think as we've discussed before, I'm I'm not a big consumer of sort of autobiographies. I think, you know, they're they're cookie-cutter sort of versions of Mm -hmm. and you cut this bit out too, but I suspect that, you know, earning an income becomes a priority as opposed to yes. having a great story to tell most of the time. So I just don't read them. Um, but there are some some fascinating people out there. I mean, you mentioned Andre Agassi. His story's not great because of how good a tennis player he was. It's about the, not even the, the challenges, you, everyone overcomes challenges. So even that's a little bit of a cliche. I, I love hearing from the people that have been crippled by self-doubt that found their way through and the way you explained Um, You know, his story that, you know, even though he's on centre court in a Grand Slam final, you know, he's just so paranoid about the way he looks and and what people think of him. Um, So I don't necessarily know anyone um, like that 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 I've played with. Um,
0: Well, I'll get Agassi for a start. I have to get on to Darren Cale. So we'll get Agassi. Anyone, uh, uh, just as a complete aside, listen to the Mike Cussie episode. I've never heard an athlete as crippled by self-doubt as Mike Hussey and he used that to achieve what he did. Have a listen to that one, you'll enjoy it.
1: Yeah, we'll do I mean that that's the stuff I find interesting. Uh, again, uh, much more interesting than those that say, "Oh, look, and, and I completely respect um, your view and 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 the notion that just working mm. your butt off is, is critical to success. I don't I don't deny that. Um, but I, I suspect you know the're supremely talented while they worked really hard they're not really across the feeling that you're an imposter mm. um, and and th- I, I guess they're the sort of people that I'm most interested in
0: well I'll get Agassiz. Um,
1: have you ever thought of veering a little bit away from the sporting arena I
0: have I have um, I, I'd love to speak to we're getting off the topic now and this is about you but i i I have an amazing, I know nothing about music or playing music but I watch people that do it and the effect they have on people around them. I'd love to speak to musicians. I'd love to know what it's like to be there in front of a stage and clap your hands and 80,000 people do it. So I'd love to speak to Bono, blokes like that. I'd love to do but I'm not sure I've quite got the, I've got more contacts in the sporting field.
1: Yeah, well, I guess that's a fair point. I mean, the, 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 the one that might sort of um, mm. sit um, I mean, I mentioned the author Michael Lewis earlier, yes. uh, and and you know, there's enough of a link to sport. There he's written um, some great um, sporting books, but I, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd love to to hear from him. It's fascinating to hear those people on the other side of the, of the microphone. You know, he's just done an amazing job of researching this stuff and um, explaining it in such an entertaining way. Listening to, to their process I find fascinating or Someone like Malcolm Gladwell as well Okay, you're go. Going, um, going pretty highbrow He, Well, uh, yeah, but I guess it does sound like that at first glimpse But, yeah, once you actually listen to those guys mm. I, I think it, you know, they just make so much sense You know, I, I described Lee Matthews and his ability To distill complicated things in a really um, easy to understand format that, That's kind of what those guys do um, I, I don't... By the end of the discussion, maybe I'll have thought of someone else in the sporting field. No,
0: I like him. I, I don't know you, you, I don't know if you know this guy. There's, there's a footballer I'd like to speak to. Little ball bloke runs around for a team called Geelong. His name's Gary Ablett Jr. If you ever come across him and he says to you, wouldn't mind doing a podcast, just send him my way, would you?
1: I'll do my best, but, I mean, I'm guarded and it's, <laughs> um, uh, it's, a, it's a challenge um, <laughs> for me to, to do this. Um, but I mean, Gary's, Gary's guarded to, you know, the extreme, and I mean, he's such a, he's such a nice, I mean, I didn't know him well, I missed him at Geelong, you know, I just admire him and admired him from afar, um, you know, as an opposition player and coach, um, and I'd heard that he's, you know, complicated, um, young man, but when I met him, it was just, I just found him so agreeable, so polite, um, but, that, that's the sort of superficial gaz. It's hard work to, to dig any deeper than that. And it's not as if he's rude. He's the opposite. He's, he's really polite, um, really quite engaging. But if you want to get down to um, the nitty-gritty and, and right down to the depths of who he is, mm. um, you're going to have a challenge in front of you.
0: I like a challenge. Um, I'm going to finish this by you now get the question from the big penguin. Now, he loves sport. And he loves the opportunity to ask these questions. And when I told him who was coming on, you got to remember, he he's grown up in a primary school where he is the one Hawthorne supporter to 99.5 Geelong supporters. Um, he's grown up in the Hawthorne-Geelong rivalry. So when I asked him to do this, he said, yeah, but Dad... <laughs> I'll be honest with you, mate, he's the coach of the Cats. I don't want to ask him a question. It's like, but <laughs> you can't go with that. He said, yeah, but, Dad, they're our enemies. They're our – and I said, no, they're just a football team. Anyway, I took – I brought this up with him last night and he gave me the no, but this morning he was. He came to me and said, Dad, you're right, um, he must be a really nice guy um, and I liked when he went down the slide, so I will ask him a question. So this is a slightly reluctant question from the Penguin, but a question nevertheless. Hi Scotty Big Penguinie. My favorite footy player was Cyril. I just loved watching him take screamers, kick goals, one-handed marks. But when he retired, I was so sad. I cried for at least an hour. Who's your all-time favorite footy player? That is a tough one to finish on. He loved Cyril. I think he wants to know who your favorite player to watch was over your time in footy. Great question, Big Penguin. And you might upset um, a few here, so choose
1: wisely. Yeah, no, and Joel Selwood's my favourite player of, of all time. Yeah, just for everything he is. Um, you know, not not even so much the, the leader has been, the way he's carried our club, just the just the, the way he goes about it. Um, and uh, Michael Voss has to be up there as well. They, they, they remind me they're very similar, th- those two, in that, um, you know, different context for me obviously playing with Voss and coaching Selwood but it's it's the attitude of right and and don't worry about the front running and the stuff when things are going really well and you're 10 goals up I've just always been drawn to those when the chips are down and the odds are against you and you need someone to stand up who do you want um and I couldn't split those two
0: we are lucky to have a lot of kids listen So the final question for you um On the way to training, at the moment, at home with their parents, Um, it's my favourite part of the show, that kids may take something from it. Um, For those that want to get some success in life, and you've had tremendous success um, in footy in a way, obviously with your family, what would you say to the youngsters listening that want to achieve something in life?
1: It's not an easy one, is it? It's not. I think the clichéd answer, and maybe you've sort of detected this theme um, throughout our conversation. But the cliche is find something you love. Mm. Um, I, I would I would say that's a nice to have. I would say find something you're good at. And the two things aren't always the same. Um, if, if you can somehow find a way to get those two things happening at once, you're away. But the priority is definitely work on the things you're good at. Um, don't plug away at the things you're not going to be um, world-class at or, or even half-decent at um, just because you love them. They're important, but they're called hobbies. Um, that's not the route to success in life.
0: I got into this podcast, mate, because I just love chatting about sport and life with people and I have enjoyed this hour and a half immensely. Um, you weren't boring at all. Um, I found it fascinating. The audience will. I know at some stage it's not that comfortable for you, but mate, I really appreciate your time. It'll be an outstanding episode. Um, thanks for trusting me to come on and have a chat and probably take yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone. I've absolutely loved it, Chris.
1: Well, you're one of the few people that could get me on, Howie. So um, I'm not sure whether I appreciate it or not. I certainly won't listen to it. Well, There's not. nothing worse than listening to yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, Yeah, but I, I hope everyone else doesn't find it as hard as I do. You've done well. Thanks a lot, mate. I appreciate it. Good on you, Howie. Thanks, mate. Ta, mate.
0: Hmm. Super, super to hear Chris so open and relaxed. He wasn't necessarily that comfortable during various parts of the episode, so I really appreciated him taking us into his world. Hopefully, you all took something from it as well. Thank you so much to Chris Scott. Our all-round editing guru, Darcy, he is a big, big Cats fan, so it hurt him to put in that losing preliminary final, but he soldiered on the kid as he does. Thanks to you, as always, for listening to the show. Until the next episode, with the star, that is Ishigua, peace and love.
1: And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listen